Hallelujah. Oh, come on. Let's really lift our voice unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords tonight. He is great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I am going to invite you to look with me in the word of the Lord tonight to the book of 2 Peter. While you're turning there again, let me say thank you for this invitation to worship the Lord with you and uh, to be here in Pentecostals of Dothan, my first time in Alabama, and I have enjoyed it immensely. Praise God. Everything's been wonderful, the accommodations, the hospitality, the meals, the conversation, it's all been wonderful, and I thank you for it. Again, one last time, congratulate this congregation on completing this beautiful edifice for the glory of the Lord, a soul-saving station in a lost and dying world, and what a beautiful representation of who you are and uh, an opportunity for more to be introduced to the kingdom of God. And so I congratulate you and celebrate with you what the Lord has done. Give honor to Brother Patterson and all the saints of God and the Harrelson family. And then just special honor to my dear, dear friend, Brother Harrelson. I refer to him lovingly as Dr. Harrelson. Someone told him me today I ought to refer to him as the, the Spurgeon of Pentecost. So now Spurgeon wasn't that good. He's got, I appreciate Brother Harrelson and uh, his stellar example of what happens to a man that fall in love with the word of the Lord. And again tonight, I remind you that you are signally blessed by God's favor to all of you of entrusting this flock to his under-shepherd, Brother Harrelson's pastor of this church. Tremendous preacher, lover of the Word, lover of God's Spirit, lover of men. He has blessed my life um, really like none other. And I am eternally thankful and indebted. You have impacted me, sir. Um, words can't express. Every once in a while, I try to send him a note, and it gets all mushy and weird. And so I just have to kind of tear it up, you know. And, and uh, But I want him to know how much I, I deeply, deeply uh, love him, his family. Sister Harrelson, God bless you. He's the first lady of this congregation. And I honor you tonight. Praise God. And Danville, much like here, uh, we march through passages and books of the Bible on a regular basis. And um, tonight, I don't know how much marching through lengthy texts we're going to do, but I do have a burden on my heart that I want to share with you this evening. Second Peter, the, the second chapter, you have your Bibles. Let me say this. God bless you for having your Bibles and uh, for knowing where they're at. in a service not so long ago a young preacher that, that walked in with a big thick Bible it was covered in little post-it tabs and falling apart would barely shut it was the kind you had to carry like this he's a good young man he's a 
23 years old, I guess, and uh, walking around. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, brother. He was on the platform that night, and the preacher said, Hey, I, I need someone to read me a scripture. He said, Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. I saw him frantically looking, and finally he pulled out his phone and began to read from Deuteronomy. I'm here to tell you that the Word of God is too precious to be a prop. It's too precious to just be a book. It's too precious just to be some ancient old story. It's God's living Word. The newest words are 2,000 years old, but it's still alive. It's still relevant, praise God. It's still applicable. It's still powerful. If we're going to make it to heaven, it's because we know what this book says. It's not enough to know what we believe. We've got to know why we believe it. And this book tells us uh, both the what and the why of how and should we ought to live our lives. And so I'm thankful for the word of the Lord. Second Peter, the second chapter, in verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Again, drawing your attention to the eighth verse of the second chapter, the second epistle of Peter. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And we're going to pray one more time and we're going to ask the Lord to help us. In the next few moments we have here together, to hear something more significant than the feeble and inadequate words of man, but that he would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. That he would enable us and empower us to not be hearers only of the word of the Lord, but to be doers of the word of the Lord. I want to do truth tonight. Scripture references that, that process of doing truth. I want to do truth tonight. So let's pray together one more time. Lord, we thank you for this service. I thank you for this wonderful congregation 
that has gathered together in this house. We thank you for your presence and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the humbling privilege and opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for your word, God, that is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask, God, that you would allow it to be a flame in our heart and our spirit tonight. Stir us, O God. Shake us, O God. Change us, O God. Through and by the hearing of the word of the Lord. We ask, God, I ask explicitly, Lord, that you would allow everything that is done and said from this moment forward to be done for your glory and for your glory alone. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you lift your hands, your heart, your voice one more time just to love the Lord? We love you, Jesus. We love you, Christ. Come on, would you love him? I feel his spirit. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody beside you and tell them I, I need you in my life. You may be seated tonight. The music has been tremendous. Every group, the choir, the the congregational singing, the youth ensemble, the solos, the musicians, it's tremendous. You have a wonderful church. The city of Dothan is blessed. Brother Harrelson mentioned my father this morning. He's asked me a time or two maybe to talk about my dad. And uh, uh, we'll not take the time to bore you with details. My father, by most considerations was nothing remarkable whatsoever born into abject poverty physically beaten sexually abused as a child at the age of 14 he went to became a freshman in high school all dad had was an old pair of work boots he was a farm boy Coach told him, you can't walk on the gym floor with those boots. You're going to have to play in your sock feet. My dad being 14, 6 foot tall and 220 pounds and full of pride said, I don't need this in my life. At 14, he bought his first car, which is against the law. Began to drive it, which was also against the law. Got a job at a pallet mill. Started working. If I remember correctly, I think it was for a dollar and 15 cents a day. From this humble beginning, my, my dad obviously lacked education. My grandmother dropped out of school in the second grade. My grandfather never made it out of high school. Again, I come from a long lineage of impoverished people, uneducated folks, uh, dreary with not much to hope for in this life. My dad had a few imperfections in his speech. He struggled with certain sounds and even the TH is the, the sound that that makes, such as three. And so if you asked him what time it was, if it was 3.32, you would hear free, furry, free. It was embarrassing to me as a child at times to hear my dad talk. He was the world's worst speller. 
he would write out checks at the grocery store and he would look at me and I was eight and nine years old and said, how do you spell 15? I'd have to spell 15 for him. And how do you spell 93? And I'd have to spell 93 for him. But as a young man, God began to deal with his heart. He had been raised around the church. My grandparents were in and out of church the entirety of his life. And at the age of about, I think it was, uh, I guess, 23 he, uh, the Lord began to deal with him, and he would stop by his parents' home every afternoon on his way home from work. By this time, he was working for the State Department, the Highway Department. No one would be there, and he would begin to pray, begin to call out to God and ask that the Lord would work a miracle in his life, and indeed God did. He miraculously and supernaturally filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Dad was not only given the Spirit of God, but an insatiable hunger and thirst for knowledge. And although he struggled spelling, he had a, a tremendous almost photographic memory and, and, and reading comprehension beyond almost compare. And so he just began to read in a mass and at his passing, a personal library of over twelve to 14,000 uh, books, books on theology, books on science, books on law. He uh, enjoyed reading uh, Supreme Court judicial briefs. He enjoyed reading medical journals. He enjoyed reading old Puritan writings, preferably in the old English. He was a unique individual to say the least, a man with an eighth grade education that ultimately became the uh, chief IT director for an R&R Donnelly, the world's largest printing and publication company, managing over 7,000 computer units, stretched out over five states, traveling the country, and even the world giving speeches on uh, computer uh, securities and, and different aspects of technology. When God filled him with the Holy Ghost, there was a call of God in his life that later on he would tell me that he rejected and because of that he spent the rest of his life grieving over that. Nevertheless, God's hand was not completely and totally removed from his life and he would, God would use him many times in the prophetic and in the supernatural and it was never with a, a microphone in his hand and it was never with the fanfare of the crowd. It was simply that God would drop into his heart and I, I, I would witness so many times as, as dad would move and, and, and he would all of a sudden seemingly, uh, and again, dad was just this unusual fellow, you know, uh, services hopping and popping and he just kind of had a stare and if things were really going, maybe he would clap his hands, always offbeat. And so I would, I would sit beside him. I would clap my hands purposely offbeat to throw him offbeat even worse. And, and if things were really going, I mean, if people were shouting, hanging from the chandeliers, you knew it was about to break loose when Ron did this. When he took his glasses off, hold on, because it was about to happen. I would kid him. I'd say, once a year, you're good for a good shout. And he would be this explosive Tasmanian devil-type worship that would cause women and children to run for fear of their lives. But the Lord would speak to him. And I would watch as he would get up in the midst of a worship service and walk over to someone. And he would lean over and, again, without fanfare, would whisper in their ears. And I would see tears begin to roll down their faces, God would speak to him, and on so many occasions, the Lord used Dad to speak into my life. And uh, he had a lot of different nuances, a lot of different things that, that uh, we could talk about tonight that we won't. But one of the things Dad was thinking, he, he would kind of hold back his head. He'd put out his chin, kind of pick up his bottom lip a little bit. He'd get that real squinty look in his eye. He'd say, ah... Uh, I don't know about that. 
would be moments of awkward silence like there is right now. I would share with him some detail in my life, something that was going on in the youth group, something that someone was sharing, something that was going on in the church. And finally, he would say, that troubles me. That troubles me. There's something about that that is troubling to my spirit. As a young person, I did not fully understand or comprehend that feeling, that emotion that he was experiencing. Yet as I grow older, I realize that I am in some ways becoming more and more like my father. My dad always thought I had the creepiest, ugliest old old man hands. The other day I was driving, and as I looked down on the steering wheel, I realized that that creepy old man hand was holding the wheel. I had all kinds of odd feelings going through me. But I've picked up on that idea that there are times in my life that I can't not just put my finger on it. There are some situations that I do not feel like that I can articulate it correctly, but I can hold back my chin and pick up my bottom lip, say there's something about that that troubles me. In 2020, we live in this westernized world in troubling times. There are many things that are happening today that are continuously bombarding our minds and endeavoring to arrest our attention. Some things that we know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that are a problem. Other things maybe we're not fully comprehending, understanding the significance thereof. But I think probably some of you under the sound of my voice know that feeling. Uh, that, and, and maybe you've never enunciated, but it, it's kind of resounding in your spirit tonight uh, where you simply say that, that troubles me. When I think of the immoral direction of our country, I'm gonna tell you that I'm troubled by it. When, 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 I, when I think about the madness that happens in the political landscape of this nation, I'm troubled by it. When, when I think about the sin and the debauchery that's celebrated on both sides of the political spectrum, I'm troubled by it in my soul. When, when I see good godly people get online and celebrate the leaders of this world that we wouldn't even want to live next door to. It's troubling to my soul. Didn't come to entertain you tonight. Didn't come to win friends and influence people. I came to share with you a burden in my soul. When I realized that the youth today, our apostolic young people, are emulating the lifestyles of Miley Cyrus and Lady Gaga, the latest Utah YouTube phenom, it troubles my spirit. When I hear stories about us as apostolics losing our young people, when we send them off to college for higher education and we lose them to Scientology, to Kabbalism, to alternative lifestyles, I gotta tell you, it's troubling to my soul. When I read that Americans spend on average six hours a day online, not to mention their time sitting before a television, it's troubling to my soul. When I see preachers and saints in churches that no longer believe in separation from this world, they no longer believe in a distinction between between the sexes. Uh, they no longer have a love for God or his word. Uh, I gotta tell you, it is troubling to my soul. Uh, when I walk into apostolic services uh, that don't look apostolic, don't sound apostolic, uh, and don't feel apostolic, it's troubling me. Uh, when I walk into worship centers uh, that are more concerned with their presentation uh, and the light background uh, and the drum loops uh, than having an old-fashioned move of the 
Holy Ghost, uh, it's troubling me. Uh, when I walk in the room, uh, it's troubling uh, to my soul. Uh, when I realize we spent hours uh, in preparation to come uh, only to stare at our watch uh, and think about leaving, uh, it's troubling. Like old Ron, and I say that affectionately when I became a teenager, I, he was always my daddy. But it drove him crazy when I called him Ron, and as a teenager does, that made me so happy. And as old Ron would say, that troubles me, I would echo that today. He stands at the opening of a cave. In his arms are two precious sons, perfectly healthy, nuzzling in the protective arms of their aging father. He is old enough to be their grandfather in the reality of the circumstances of their birth as warped and demented as it was. These two boys were being held by the man who was both their father and their grandfather. Two incestuous, drunken nights, nine months removed, have put him in a position that no man would envy. Has put him in a position that no one would champion. This would alienate him an hour, hour to some weird afternoon talk show about the problems of his life and and the confusion that he has brought. And I, I can only imagine the, the conundrum of emotions, uh, both joy and happiness of sorrow and shame uh, that would sweep over him. And surely there were occasions uh, that Lot would look down at these boys and he would ask himself, the question, uh, how did I ever get to this place? Uh, how did I ever get to this position in life? Uh, whatever brought me to a moment like this? And yet the scripture tells us the story. Uh, in Genesis chapter 13 and 10, the Bible says that Lot lift up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest o'er. Then Lot chose him out of the plain of Jordan. Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves one from another. This is a moment of demarcation and separation between Abraham, father of the faithful, and his nephew Lot. Abraham dwelled in the lands of Cana. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And the scripture says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Lot, neither anyone else, were unaware of the circumstances of Sodom. The very next verse in Scripture says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And yet the Scripture says, and God doesn't mince or waste words, the infallible and errant word of the Lord always has a purpose for our lives and our understanding. And so when the Scripture says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom, it was obvious that there was at least an aspect within him that imagined someday we're going to live in that city. I, I, I can almost, and, and, and forgive me, Pastor Harrelson, for, for taking such imaginative liberties tonight, but 
I can imagine maybe the conversations that happened within the tent of Lot and his wife, and he would say, listen, I, I know that it's been rough, and, and uh, Abraham putting us out like this, and we've been done unwrongly and unjustly. I, I just imagine how we begin to spin things. And, and he would say, I, I know we're living in tents today, and I, I know we're kind of strangers and wanderers in this land, but one of these days we're, we're going to live in a city. And one of these days you're going to have the kind of house uh, that you've always liked and you've always desired. And one of these days we're, we're going to have something. We're going to make something. We're, we're going to put down some roots. You're always not going to have to live as a traveling nomad. One of these days your man's going to stand good and I'm going to give you a home. And in Genesis 14 and 12 we find out that that came to pass. The scriptures is that they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. In a quick order, Lot has moved from simply pitching his tent towards Sodom to now that he is living within the city of Sodom. And I can also imagine that maybe as we all do as young marrieds and we, we just happy and elated with the idea of marriage and all that it has to offer and excited about the future and we'll just almost live anywhere. And I, I remember our first duplex and it was, it was Roachfield and we had horrible neighbors, but we was in love and that was all that mattered. And I can imagine old Lot living in maybe a house like that. And he would tell his wife and maybe they would hold hands and they'd walk over across the tracks to the good side of town. And he would say, one of these days we're gonna live over here, baby. One of these days we're gonna have a nice place. One of these days you're not gonna be ashamed to bring your friends and your family over one of these days uh, we're going to make it in this town I'm here to tell you that I'm going to do good by you I'm going to provide for you I'm going to give you the things that you've desired and I believe it came to pass because in Genesis chapter 19 the scripture says there came two angels to Sodom and Eve and, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom the, the, the gates of the city were the places of the city elders, of, of the magistrates. This was a place of commerce. This was a place of business. The fact that Lot is setting in the gate of the city leads me to assume that he has arrived, that they've moved across the tracks. And they're no longer down on the seedy side of town, but now they're in the good part of town. His wife is no longer milling around in that little one-bedroom ramshackle uh, shotgun house, but now they got a nice place, and, and they got doilies and curtains and all the things things that, that makes a place a home and now he is a man of respect and a man of honor and although he is a stranger to this land he has been elevated to a place of prominence and power and position and he sets within the gates of the city of Sodom and of course most of us are familiar with the story of who these two strangers were and what they came to do we, we know of the perverseness uh, of the men of that city that demanded that Lot would release these strangers to them. And, and, we, and we see Lot taking his two young unmarried daughters and offering them to these masses to use and abuse and do whatever they may, but do not put your hands on these men. And had it not been for the supernatural aspect of the angels of the Lord causing them to be maddened with their blindness, no doubt and there's no telling what atrocities may have happened to all parties involved. Lot finds himself, his sons-in-laws, his married daughters laugh and mock him to score. He finds himself holding the hands of his two daughters, his wife on the other side, running for the mountains. Ultimately, Lot asked that he could go to Zor. It's just a little city. It's not hardly nearly as wicked as Sodom or Gomorrah. Let me go to this city. 
In Genesis 19 and 24, the scripture says that the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Lot's wife is preserved eternally in history by the foreboding words of Jesus Christ that he spoke in Luke 17 and 32 when he simply said, remember Lot's wife. Two incestuous drunken nights will now yield these two sons. In Genesis 19 and 37, the scripture says, the firstborn bare son called his name Moab, and the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name Benami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. These two illegitimate incestuous boys would spawn nations that ultimately would trouble Israel for years. From withstanding their uh, entering into the promised land to Solomon building an altar to their god Chemosh, uh, bringing 300 years of disobedience upon Israel until Josiah destroyed their altars. These two boys, the nations they spawned, uh, they withstood Nehemiah. They made their presence prophetically known in Revelation chapter 2 through the doctrine of Balaam. That doctrine is still attacking the church today. Uh, the doctrine of Balaam is this, to corrupt uh, what cannot be conquered. I'm here to tell you in 2020, uh, that is the attack of the enemy against the church of the living God uh, to corrupt what cannot be conquered. Uh, he can't conquer the name. He cannot conquer the blood. Uh, he cannot conquer the spirit. Uh, but if he can corrupt my worship, uh, if he can corrupt my holiness, uh, if he can corrupt my prayer life, uh, if he can corrupt my mind, uh, if he can corrupt my spirit, uh, if he can distract my soul, In my opinion, all of this falls on the singular shoulders of Lot. And then the Apostle Peter comes along. Thirty-some years removed from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and much like we preached this morning that John experienced, Peter feels that same tap on the shoulder. Hey, Pete, grab your pen and paper, son. I got something for you to write. Peter... Again, the hot-headed apostle, the arrogant, condescending one, the man who argued with the apostle Paul by this point in his life, he's mellowed out a little bit. He's grown older, maybe, maybe around 60 years of age. His ears to the ground a little bit more, and he's a little concerned about heaven being his home, and, and maybe he has ears to hear truly what the Spirit of the Lord would say. He begins to write in Second Peter. He begins to talk in in verse 1, about the grace and the peace that fell upon the Lord, the being fruitful in the knowledge of Christ. He talked about being eyewitnesses of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we come to our text today, and I will not take the time to focus in on the largest portion when he begins to talk about destruction that is coming for all false teachers. And then he gets down to verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter 2, and the scripture says this again, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example of those that should after live ungodly. And Peter, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, under divine mandate from God Almighty, pens these words, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Peter on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost writing about Lot says, for that righteous man dwelling among them 
in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Amplified Bible says, and he rescued righteous Lot, greatly worn out and distressed by the wanton ways of the ungodly and lawless. For that just man living there among them tortured his righteous soul every day with what he saw and heard of their unlawful and wicked deeds. A righteous man, a man tortured by what he saw and heard, Lot, the man that sat in the gate of the city, Lot, the man that shopped his daughters to the hordes, Lot, the man that bartered with God about where he was going to abide, Lot, the man that spawned these two evil nations, vexed, distressed, righteous. Now, either Peter got it wrong, and yet if you believe that, then it completely and totally discredits the entirety of Scripture. We stand here today standing upon the premise that God's word is inerrant, infallible, without error, miraculously preserved for our understanding. We know tonight that God's word does not contradict itself. It was after all the righteousness of ten that Abraham so nobly bartered with God for mercy. It's obvious by Abraham's estimation of knowing what he knew about Lot that he was holding on to the idea that he had instilled enough in his nephew that there was still a measure of righteousness within him that could be found. So Peter was accurate in his estimation. Peter was accurate in his recounting of the spirit, the mind, the soul of Lot. That Lot was sickened. That Lot was appalled. That Lot was disgusted by Sodom. That Lot tortured his righteous soul every day by what he saw. Lot came home in the evenings and he would slam down the evening news on the table and say, look what they're teaching our kids in our school. And maybe, oh, maybe Lot would say, I'm troubled about that. Maybe wife's, Lot's wife would come in. She would begin to tell him about the dalliances of the neighborhood and the extramarital liberties that were winked at and everybody just looking the other way. And Lot would feel that pain within his soul and he would say, I'm troubled by that. They'd have Saturday afternoon dinners and his sons-in-law would come over raised, born, bred, and raised in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he would hear their vile, crude language, and he would hear their snickering at their filthy jokes, and his wife would have to hold him under the table and give him that, look, not now. Don't do this to her family. And yet when those boys would leave, Lot would pound his fist and say, I'm not a man if I've got to put up with this. There's something about that. Somebody's going to have to teach them a lesson. He was sickened. He was appalled. He was disgusted. Lot, if that was what's in your heart, and I believe it was. Lot, if that's your mindset, and I trust that it was, 
how could you stay in that city? How could you send your kids off to those schools? How could you entertain that kind of company into your house, bringing those kind of spirits with it? If that's how you felt, Lot, and I believe it was, how could you look the other way as your little teenage single girls would come home singing the songs of the world, talking the stories of the world, reading the tabloids of this life? How is it, Lot, that you would put up with that? How is it that you could ignore all the things going around you? How is it that you could abide in this land? How is it that you could purpose that you're going to stay there and raise a city? How could you ever have any peace of mind? Again, I present to you today that Lot was a righteous man. Yet Lot was guilty of this timeless snare that maybe far too often some of us succumb to. And that's this. I believe that Lot was troubled. But Lot was never moved. I said Lot was troubled in his spirit. Lot was troubled in his heart. Lot was troubled at his daily time of devotion. Lot was troubled in his mind when he began to think about the principles of righteousness that Abraham, his uncle, had instilled in him. But he was never troubled to the point of doing something about it. He was never troubled to the point of putting his foot down and saying, not in my house, not in my table, not in my living room. He was never troubled to the point of saying, I know this is a horrible financial decision, baby, but we gotta save our family. He was never troubled to the point of saying I know it's going to cost me money but we got to do what's right he was never troubled to the place of turning down overtime and time and a half to say hey we've got to go to the house of the Lord I ask you this question are you troubled today this might be my last time in Dothan what has troubled you lately are you troubled with your life? Are you troubled with your addictions? All addictions don't come in pill bottles and, and booze bottles. Today, the most devious, wicked, demented addictions we carry around in our pockets. Are you troubled by pornography? Are you troubled by this constant burden of keeping up with the Joneses? Are you troubled by the envy that you feel when you look at Instagram of your friends and your coworkers in their perfect pictures, on their perfect vacations, eating their perfect meals, in their perfect attire, with their perfect smiles? You see the picture of that slim, muscular husband and his young, loving wife and their beautiful children. They never showed the picture where the kid up chucked on his shirt. They never showed the picture where right when they were getting ready to say, cheese, Junior pulled down Mama's hair. They never showed the picture. We see the pictures on Easter, everybody at church, they don't show the picture of you and your wife fighting all the way here. They don't take that picture. I'll never forget a preacher in our home church. He would tell the story about 
him and his wife fighting all the way to church and he got to church and he worshiped and he danced and he shouted. He talked in tongues. He got in the car and she said, oh, wasn't you something? Wasn't you something? Worshiping like that? Dancing like that? Singing like that? After the way you talked to me? He said, I was mad at you, not God. We don't see those pictures. Are you troubled today by the lack of faithfulness that you have in your life to the things of God? Are you troubled by the direction that your children are going in? Are you troubled by the fact that you aren't faithful in paying your tithes? Does it trouble you that you pray at 5.30 on Sunday night and that's the only time of the week you bow your knee before the Lord? Does it trouble you that you allow your children to do things and entertain hobbies that you would never partake of on your own? Does it trouble you that you use any excuse that you can to avoid a special prayer revival or a Wednesday night Bible study? Does it trouble you to call in on sick on Sunday but to have the Monday morning miracle at 8 o'clock, time to go to work? Does it trouble you? Does it trouble you that you're not teaching anybody a Bible study? Does it trouble you that when Brother Justin said we need cooks and houses and, and moral support that some of you said not my house, not my table, not my support, does that trouble you? Does it trouble you that you haven't invited a single person to church this week? Does it trouble you that you haven't invited a single person to church this month? Does it trouble you that you might go an entire year without ever telling somebody about the Pentecostals of Dothan? Does it trouble you when these waters of baptism are cold and stale and have that milky foam and a dead spider floating across? Does it trouble us when our altars are filled with people that know about God and experienced God, but never someone experiencing the baptism of his spirit for the very first time? Does it trouble you that this city is going to hell? Does it trouble you that our children could be lost? Does it trouble you when you turn up your nose at those uh, that don't look like us and don't sound like us uh, and don't talk like us? Uh, does it trouble you uh, when you see those that have, are so demented in their mind uh, and so war warped by this world uh, that they don't even know whether they're coming and going, don't know whether they're men and women? Does it trouble you when you sneer up your nose at them uh, and say that's filthy, uh, that's nasty, uh, and you forget all the while that they have been created in the image of God uh, and they've got a soul and somebody's got to love them and somebody's got to pray for them and someone's got to help them somebody's got to free them somebody's got to tell them that there's a better way a higher way a more loving way does it trouble you to think that if the Lord came back in the next 10 minutes that there would be some in this room that would not go Lot, righteous Lot, are you troubled? Are you vexed? Are you disgusted? Are you outraged? The million dollar question is this, will you move? James said, 
Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. You want to get a crowd worked up? Preachers at times can be master manipulators. We know the words to say. Truthful words. Biblical words. But words that will elicit certain responses. We can talk about praise and the goodness of God and there is a response that immediately we'll expect. We can talk about the glory of God and miracles and signs and wonders and there is a response that can be expected. We can get up and beat the world that is pierced up and inked up and messed up and whacked out of their minds and that elicits a certain response from the church. We can get up and talk about all the weirdos, the, the mindless, the confused, the distorted, those that are messed up with their gender identity, those that have been turned to a defiled mind and we can get a certain response. When we think of Sodom, we typically think of that godless, wicked, man-loving city. And yet Ezekiel said, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. History accounts that Sodom was known not just as a demented, deviant, sexual city, but it was known as a very close city. The fact that Lot ever made it inside the city and became a, a leader, our magistrate, is almost remarkable because Sodom was known as a city that closed its doors to outsiders, uh, that was very shunning to a, a, the outside world, uh, wanting to keep in their mind their own little perfect utopia, governed by their own little rules, uh, living their own little life uh, beyond the scope and the influences of others. Uh, Ezekiel said, I'll tell you what the sins of Sodom were. Uh, they were pride. Pride. I'm here to tell you that there's, this may be my last time in Dothan, there's pride in the apostolic church. I'm thankful for this one God truth. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. There's nothing better than serving Jesus. If there was something better than this, I'd be doing that. I'm here tonight because I'm convinced there's nothing like Jesus. There's nothing like his spirit. There's nothing like his word. I'm convinced more than ever before that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I'm not gonna sit down. I'm not gonna shut up. I'm not gonna let down. I'm not gonna back down. I'm going to plant my feet firmly in the ground and say I ain't moving. I'm not going nowhere. I'm going to declare the whole counsel of God. But if we're not awfully careful, pride in his glitzy attire makes his way into my mind and spirit. I thank God for what he's doing in the Pentecostals, Dothan. Y'all have come a mighty long way. Beautiful edifice. But I'm here to tell you, again, it's not this building that's going to impact this city. It's what happens inside this building. I told Brother Harrelson Day that old metal 
dilapidated church we were in, hot in the summer, freezing cold in the winter, metal on the inside and the outside, concrete floors. It was it was a rat hole, friend. It was embarrassing, and yet it was there that God established our church. There were five preachers that came to the Lord that are now pastoring and working that came to the Lord in that building, in that church. I'm here to tell you that it's what happens on the inside that's going to make the difference. God, help us to get out of these four walls. Prayer and share, small groups, home Bible studies, testifying on the job, being a light at the school. God, deliver us from pride. Such were all of us, but we've been washed. We've been changed. Sodom's second sin was that there was a a fullness of bread. They were fat and happy. I love it. I'm here to tell you, you guys don't know what you got here in Dover. On a Sunday night, when hardly anybody has church, on a Sunday night, you have congregational singing, the public reading of scripture, a choir, a praise team, testimonies, prayer services. I'm here to tell you, the hand of God and the favor of God and the blessings of God and great honor given to the leadership of this church that has made up in their mind they're not going nowhere. And yet we cannot afford to sit around fat and happy. We can't sit around and say we got the building we always wanted. I'm here to tell you that it's not the will of God for this to be our last building. It's not the will of God for this to be the building. I don't know whether it's in the backyard. I don't know whether it's on South 231. I don't know where it's at. Again, this in hype. I'm here to tell you that there's souls to be born in this city. Not for his glory. Not for his glory. Not for your glory. Not for my glory. But for his glory and his glory alone. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. You notice that it's just, there's never no time really to pray. Time I get up, get my hair did, make the kids lunch, get dressed for work, put in my eight hours, walk the dog, mow the grass. Spend three hours on Facebook. They just ain't no time to pray. By the time I take Junior down to Little League and Lisa over to ballet and feed my neighbor's dog and pick up my mama's cat, there just ain't no time to pray. I got time for Uncle Sam. I got time for the employer. I got to have some family time. I got to have some me time. But I never have any God time. Are you troubled? Sodom, they ignored the poor and the needy. Jesus said, the poor you have always. Poverty is something that the church can help but cannot fix. However, we need to be troubled by those that are poor in spirit and do not know that there's a Savior. I will 
not ask God to trouble me anymore. I refuse to ask God to give us a greater burden. I will not ask God to stir hearts and our minds for him. Because being troubled isn't enough. I will pray and ask God to move us. Move us to pray. Move us to reach. Move us to work. Move us to live holy. Move us to worship, not just sing songs, not just to hit a perfect pitch, but move us into worship that continues when the music is over. Move us into worship that lyrics cannot captivate. Move us into an atmosphere in which time is meaningless. Everything await because God is here. Move me to live in a way that's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Some musicians come tonight. This is my battle. This may be your battle. Being troubled. I'm troubled. I was troubled a few weeks ago when a lady been married for over 40 years walked up to me and said, our marriage is over. We don't love anybody, each other anymore or anyone else. It's just over. I was troubled by that. I'm troubled when I see young people. Even Bible college students come home on the weekends, sit down, unable to worship, unmoved by the lack of coolness in our church, needing some entertainment. I'm troubled by the fact that I got a significant segment in our church in Danville that would, wouldn't matter how far they'd gone, they'd turn around and go back to the house if they thought they'd forgotten their phone but never bring their Bible to the church. I'm troubled by that. And so I just started praying, God, move us away from our carnality. Move us away from our selfishness. Move us away from worrying about a clock. Move us away from worrying about a, a perfect presentation. Oh God, draw me to thy bleeding side. Draw me to Calvary's cruel cross. Draw me into an upper 
upper room prayer meeting. Draw me to an upper room. Draw me to an empty tomb. Move me into your presence. As we stand all over this house, every I close, forgive me, Pastor, if I've taken too much liberty tonight. Everybody very prayerful. I want you to ask yourself this question. No one looking around. Every eye closed. What troubles you tonight? Not what troubles you about what the pastor's doing. Not, not, well, not, what, not what's troubling you about what's going on in your neighbor's life. I, I ask that you would look very introspectively into your own soul and say, God, I'm troubled about this. I'm troubled about this envy. I'm troubled about this bitterness that I'm carrying. I'm troubled about this anger and this rage at bottles. I'm troubled about this jealousy. I'm troubled about these hobbies. I'm, I'm troubled about how much time I stay online. I'm troubled about the movies I watch. I'm troubled about the TV that I'm watching. I'm troubled about the conversations that I'm having. I'm, I'm troubled about the closeness that I'm allowing myself to get to my coworker. I'm troubled about my lack of faithfulness to the house of the Lord. I'm troubled about my lack of giving. I'm troubled about wanting to see how close to the edge I can get and still be right with you. I'm troubled by that, Lord. And I'm asking that you would give me faith. We pray this at our church in Danville. God, make us courageous and bold to be the church you've called us to be. Lord, I call on your name right now. And I ask on behalf of the Pentecostals of Dothan that you would make us courageous tonight. That you would make us bold and determined to look deep into our own souls and to determine what is troubling us. God, help us not to stop there, but to make that bold declaration to say, God, I don't want to be troubled. I don't want to just simply be vexed in my righteous soul. But God, help me to do something about this. Help me to forgive. Help me to seek forgiveness. Help me to lay down my sin. Help me to lay aside my envy, my jealousy, my rage. Help me, God, to get beyond myself. Lord, let me move. The altar's open tonight. I invite you to come.